Welcome back to OMN's Coffee Shop Conversations. Big thank you to our managing director, Scott Cunningham, for a terrific conversation with Rich Layton last week. Hope Scott will come back and do some more of these. As usual, we're at World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and with me is KMHD's program director, Matt Flieger, also the guy I report to at KMHD, so there's that. In the eight years since he moved from a station in Texas to take over at KMHD, he's transformed the station, built a ratings winner, and an artistic and financial success in a field where those are usually incompatible. He brought philosophy with him, which he has carried out through the years. KMHD is one of the few, if not the only, jazz station to have raised the numbers of younger listeners. And that's pretty amazing. Let's meet Matt Flieger. How about it? Matt, welcome to the cupping room. And I, I, you know, I hate to do this because I, when I hear when I hear somebody start by saying, "Well, we were just talking off mic," you know, and <laughs> I hate that. I hate when that. Happens. But <laughs> we were just talking, and I just wanted to. Actually, that happened one time in here with Reggie Houston, who, who said, "You know, I've, I, I can. I've just been able to start breathing again." Mm. And, and I go, well, "What's going on?" He said, "Well." Let me t- can I turn the thing on? He goes, yeah. And then this all came out about Janice Scroggins and what she meant to him. And it was amazing. It was quite amazing. This is not the same, way, the same thing because I was just telling you about uh, th- one, one of our coffee shop conversations where the person I was interviewing breastfed her baby the entire time we were talking, which is a little distracting for me. But And, and you said... Well, I, the human breast is a natural thing. Yes. And uh, we shouldn't be afraid of looking at it. Uh, right. it's, in fact, it's... It's an odd social construct that we are afraid of looking at. I used to, I used to teach an intro to broadcasting course at Trinity University um, about a decade ago. And I would always, every semester, I would open up that course in the same way. I would talk about the fact that broadcast licenses are one of the most overinflated commodities in America. In fact, they are the domain of the rich. Uh, the rich want to own broadcast licenses. And this, by the way, is why I work in public broadcasting. Um, the, the rich want to own broadcast licenses because they know they can influence society via the media. And so I would always start with a hypothetical situation in that class with students, and I would just ask for a show of hands. How many of you in real life have seen a naked female breast? And every hand would go up because most of us were breastfed, and most of us have seen one somewhere else in life. And then I would say, I would ask the class, how many of you have seen someone murdered in real life? How many of you have seen someone shot in real life? And depending on the class, very few hands would ever go up. In fact, most of the time it was none. And then I would ask them a question, um, a second follow-up series, and I would say, how many of you watched television last night? Every hand would go up. And uh, I would ask, how many of you on television Uh, saw someone murdered or saw some act of violence portrayed in television. Every hand would go up because most television shows are about violence and about, uh, you know, think of Law and Order or any of these cop shows, you know, or whatever else. They're always about violence. And then I would ask them, uh, how many of you have ever seen a naked female breast on television? (laughs) And no hands would go up because, of course, that the naked female breast is vilified in our society, but violence is glorified. In fact, it's so vilified that around the time I was teaching this course was the time that um, 
Uh, Janet Jackson had her wardrobe malfunction. Oh, yes. Do you remember what a big deal that was? <laughs> it was huge. Oh, my God, we saw huge. a female breast on television. Yeah, this yeah. is the end of society. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what does this say about us? That, that we will glorify violence, that, that we allow that to happen, that we allow that to be a normal thing. We glorify uh, gun violence. It's glorified just guns are everywhere on television. Violence is everywhere on television. Yeah. But the female yeah. breast, no, no, no. You I can't that. show that. No. <laughs> you know, around the same time, um, I was doing stories for the PBS TV show Religion and Ethics Newsweekly. And uh, I was around the time when there was a, a the, Oregon had just passed a law that was OK for a public uh, breastfeeding. And that was a big deal. It was a huge deal. It was, a, you know, and, and the state went as far as to have signs made for people to put up, uh, put in their in their shops and. And uh, but and I I did the story, but I could I could shoot someone kind of you could sort of you couldn't see the breast. I was doing a story on public breastfeeding for PBS, yet I could not show it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, this is a natural thing. That's weird. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. I know. It's, It's stuff like we still can't say certain things. No. No, you can't. You and I can't say things on, on the radio that we would say in, in normal conversation. That's right. Isn't that weird? It is weird. It's really a, weird. It's a strange thing. However, we can say fuck in here. We can, yeah. We, we can, can say all we any want. fucking thing we want <laughs> in this, all right? I like that. Because <laughs> it's a podcast. I'm going to take my <laughs> personal censoring down and let her rip. I hope so. <laughs> in the first time, you know, when I first moved here, I, 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 there was a guy, a comedian named Ron Osborne. And he had his cable access show. It was funny. It was actually very, very popular, very well known. And he had me on as a guest. And that was the first time in my whole broadcasting career that I got to say fuck. Mm-hmm. And it was so jarring to me. I mean, I'd already, you know, I started in TV in like 1972, right? Mm-hmm. And, all, and this was like 1997. I've already been, in the, been doing this for you know, decades. And I got to say fuck. And I mean... I mean, it was, <laughs> I was shaking. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, it never, it never slips out. No, it when, doesn't. When we're Even though air. we say it all yeah. the time. It never slips lives. out. Well, I th- think it's because, you know, once you get in that booth, once you're yeah. in front of the microphone, yeah. you're in front yeah. of the console, you just have to shape up a little bit. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're bringing your, you know what I always tell people, it's you plus 10%. So yeah. it's a little bit yeah. better of a version of you that you bring yeah. to the air yeah. every day. Yeah. <laughs> Are you like me? Are, I mean, I, I always say I never met a mic I didn't like. Are you that way? Uh, do you mean that in terms of like you like to speak in front of people? Uh, you, you enjoy broadcasting? Yeah. Or, or do you mean that in terms of you can work a mic technically. No, anyway. oh, no, no, no. Okay. I don't mean anything. Any, any, I would never speak about anything technical. Why hey. do you think Scott's here? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't, you know this about me. I don't really enjoy public speaking that much. I, wanna, I know that. I want to do, I, I don't want to have a physical persona in, in the public. Uh, I don't want. Because they'll think you're the guy from Silicon Valley? I don't, yeah, yeah, right, maybe. Uh, you look, you do look like I do like kind of look, you know look that, like that right? guy, right? Yeah, that's funny. Uh, well, no, it's, so I am not um, really into the limelight. The thing that I've always enjoyed about radio broadcasting is the autonomy that comes along with radio broadcasting. People typically don't know what you look like. Um, and to me, that has been a nice thing. 
Um, it's also why I don't really like to emcee shows a whole lot. I just, I, I think I ran into this in San Antonio. In San Antonio, I emceed shows a lot. I did a lot of public events for the radio station that I worked for down there. And it got to the point where I couldn't go into a grocery store and go shopping, you know, in my PJs without running into somebody <laughs> that wanted to talk to me about KRTU, which was the station I worked for down there. Yeah. And so um, I think uh, when I moved to Portland, I was deliberately like, I'd rather blend in and just be on air, you know, than, yeah. than yeah. be out in public just because that was something that, yeah, I just didn't care for that much. I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want people to recognize me. All right. And maybe I've let out too much there. I don't know, but it's just well, one of those things. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Um, uh, it's it's uh, well, it is fun. Did yeah. you do you ever enjoy it? Uh, that someone recognizes me from yeah. my position at yeah. KMHD. Um, uh, maybe. Um, yeah. It depends. I, I think you know. I mean, KMHD is a different animal. We have a far bigger audience than any real radio station I've worked at in my life, including. Yeah. I mean, probably the biggest radio audience I ever talked to was at WDVE in Pittsburgh, and uh -huh. that, that's a big, you know, commercial radio station. But, you know, I was buried late at night, so I oh. wasn't really talking to a whole lot of people. But here, you know, we yeah. talk to a lot of people at KRT, or KMHD when, yeah. when we do. So, yeah, I think it was just a conscious decision, um, and I've felt pretty good about my time in Portland because of it, I think. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been... It, it you know August. It's been not eight years. Yeah, this is eight my years. Um, I celebrated my Portland anniversary last month. Eight years yeah. being here. It's it's wild how fast it's gone. It's funny because it, it's you know, stuff comes up on your Facebook page. Yeah, about you know the stuff from from a long time ago. I I, I had these 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 um, posts come up about the last couple of weeks at the old at at, at, at Mount Hood right when they were like in the middle of renovations mm -hmm. and you couldn't you couldn't get to the bathroom <laughs> cuz i i was doing i remember DJs talking about this yeah. i mean yeah. in, in yeah. moving up here people were telling me yeah. i can't even use it i have to take this like elevator to get to, to the, the bathroom the bathroom yeah <laughs> crazy and then, the, and then uh, there was a post uh, when, when I put the, about the first tune I played when uh, in, at KMHD uh -huh. it was "Witchy Taito" by Oregon. Nice, yeah, nice choice, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so you were having this life in Texas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a in a way, um, since I don't teach anymore, I was you know faculty. I taught practicums at Trinity University, in, in addition to my position there at care to you. So that's a little different. But yeah. in a way, the radio stations are really similar. Uh, the show I hosted at KRTU was called The Morning Session, which is the morning show here at KMHD now. And uh, some of the things that we did at KRTU are similar to things that we do at KMHD. Although I would say KMHD, those things that we did there, like playing funk, soul, and R&B mm -hmm. on a mm -hmm. jazz station are on steroids here. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, because you're playing it on the ra on the radio. Well, you know, that's, it's funny, because um, when the whole transition was happening, moved from Mount Hood to, to OPB, I, I, I somehow got wind that, that, you, that you were going to get, you were coming here. Yeah, you, con you were the first DJ to contact Is that me. right? Yeah, uh -huh. I, saw, I saw your Facebook page, and I saw what the station was doing, and I went, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And, and and what you came here, it was a, it was so totally different, uh -huh. totally different. And 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 um, 
Have you had your struggles to, 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 make, this, to make the station that it is now? Well, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I dreamed of an opportunity like this. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, you know, it, and it doesn't come along that often where someone gives you a lot of creative control over something. You know, Hardly ever. Uh, yeah, typically <laughs> um, when you take a job like this, people really have an established idea of exactly where they want to go, and you're going to work within those parameters and such. Um, but... One thing I knew, because I talked a lot with Steve Bass and Lynn Clendenin before I got here, I knew that their ideal for KMHD was to do two things. And one was to make the audience younger for the station. The second was to demonstrate that jazz is a living, breathing, vibrant, healthy art form. And, um, I mean, you know, given the way jazz was looked at in 2009 when we started this, that was a pretty tall order, you know? I mean, yeah. and... I want to be clear that KMHD has benefited from the zeitgeist of underground music in America over the past eight years. You know, I mean, there has been a shift in America um, and worldwide, really, in terms of what is thought about as indie music, what is thought about as uh, the music of youth. And jazz has more of a, a place there than it did when we started KMHD, when we started this iteration of KMHD in 2009. So... You know, we, we, we've benefited from that, but we've also made some decisions at KMHD that have moved in that direction. But, yeah, it, it, was, it was hard because um, what I saw is the old KMHD was a very producer-focused mindset for a radio station. And that is, we're going to put you on the air, I know what you like, and we're just going to hope that the audience digs what you do. Yeah. Right? That, yeah. was the, that was the message to DJs. And I think most of the old staff would agree with that. I mean, there was, there was an overarching philosophy of the station, but for the most part, it was very producer-focused. And mm -hmm. what we started doing in 2009 was moving KMHD to be an audience-focused radio station. Huh. We know, we have a very good idea by looking at research and things we know about this audience, things we know about the demographic makeup of the audience, things we know about the size of the audience, the, the geography of where the station's located. We've got a good idea of how to delight them, right? Mm -hmm. And so... We wanted to move in that direction, and every show that we've set up on KMHD has a program philosophy behind it. Your show has a program philosophy. My show has a program philosophy. And these program philosophies are designed, you note that we start them off with what's the audience doing in this slot right now, and how can we enhance their experience? And so, and, and the thing that I saw, that was the thing that I got the least pushback on from DJs. That was the thing that people understood, because I... I Tell it to everyone, my job isn't as a boss at, at KMHD. My job is as a coach. I'm here to enhance your natural talent and make you as popular as you can be with the KMHD audience. And I think when most people know we're moving in that direction, um, they can get on board and then we can move in a collaborative fashion. And, and that's the other thing. You know, as you know, I like to collaborate. I like to work with people to find something that's going... Because if the fun factor isn't engaged for a host, they won't do a good job. Right. And we won't hold on to them for very long if they're, do, if they're playing something they don't like to play on the air. So we try and find people with a passion for music and enhance that in a way that we know will work with... Uh, the audience that we have, and um, and we've we've seen that be successful over the years. But it was, I think this was the hardest job I ever had for the first three years of it. Really, in my life, because it was just so much work. You know, I was putting in, especially in the first year, fifty to sixty hours a week, and it was a lot of work, and it was just. 
I mean, there was so much figuring out to do and so much, you know, we, we were remodeling a house. Right. And right. remodeling a house is way harder than tearing down the house and building new. Yeah. It's just harder, but it's the right thing. Because to you do. have to live in it. Yeah, because you got to live in that house while this is going on. And yeah. the audience has to live in that house too. Yeah. And so that's just one of those things where it's not easy for the audience, not easier for the host, not easy for the managers. And, um, but I think it was important to do it that way. That is a more Portlandy, in my mind, way of doing things than let's tear it down and start anew, despite what all these developers are currently doing. Right, which is tearing down, <laughs> putting up something ugly. Yes. Yeah, right. I mean, you, you want to keep um, a semblance of what this city sounds like and what it is. And the other thing that shocked me when I started at KMHD was, um, you know, as I scanned the dial, and I remember asking, there's, there's no classic soul funk R&B station in this town? No, none no. at all. I was, people have to want that, right? Yeah. I mean, people have to yes. have a desire for that music because right. that's the most important music on the planet. I mean, jazz is really important, and it's really special. But soul and R&B, well, I mean, there's a reason it's called soul music. Yeah. <laughs> It yeah. speaks yeah. to that. It does. It does. It's important. It's, it is vitally important. Yeah. It's crucial. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think we got a lot of response to that in the beginning. Um, we own it. Yeah. We're trying no, to. We own it. No, there's, yeah, I mean, there's no other place to go. Yeah. I, you know, I would, I, now don't get me wrong, I would still like to see a full time soul and R&B station here. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see that in the city think it would be important and i can imagine a way to program it that would just be really solid yeah, but yeah we don't have that right now no and 1480s not it no i mean it's hard to do an am station these days you know and, and garner a big audience right you know play, i mean the mono thing's great but a lot <laughs> of the greatest recordings are made in stereo so uh not all of them yeah. No, I mean, there were, I mean, there were many amazing mono recordings out there. You know, hear certain things that you didn't hear in mono the first time around. Right. You know, like some of the Beatles stuff, hearing it in mono is pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 So, um, I'd, I'd like you to do is, I've heard, this, I've heard you say this many times, mm. your, your philosophy of, 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 of what jazz is on KMHD. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's 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 a, it's a def, it's, it defines the station. So shoot. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it. it I'll try and boil this down as, as simply as I can. It's, you don't have to. Okay. So <laughs> make it. Um, you know, basically, the idea for me. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I was sitting there, you know, for a decade at KRTU, um, and when I started there, I wasn't you know, as knowledgeable about jazz as I am now. Of course, I spent a decade there every day of my life listening all day to the music, so I learned a lot about it. But one thing kept coming up, you know, and, and this was this kind of, like, uh, concept from the audience, and it's from disparate and diverse audiences, which was to always say, that's not jazz, right? right. And it's like, it's Herbie right. Hancock. How could it yeah. not be jazz? <laughs> and so... Um, <laughs> I started to I've ask, taken many of those, those phone calls. I, I, we all have. Yeah. I mean, we all have on the yeah. air, and, and that's okay. I mean, people like to qualify things. We like to qualify right. things as DJs. We, we like to fit. It's comfortable for us to fit things into a neat little box and say, that's what that is. Unfortunately, with this genre of music, that is very hard to do, and that's a, 
a question I still have been sitting there, you know, trying to solve throughout my life. So what is jazz? Is it the rhythm that makes it jazz? Well, no, jazz has lots of, you know, non-swinging rhythms going on. And now in modern jazz, the swinging rhythm has become a lot more diminished than it was in the past. So it's not the rhythm. Is it the instrumentation? No, any instrument can play jazz music. Is it just improvisation? Well, no, other musics get improvised. And not all jazz is improvised either. There's a lot of jazz that's right. written out. Yeah. And so, and then is it, the, is it the feeling of the music? Well, yeah, you could say there's a jazziness, but there are certain things that, you know, someone is making that they intend to be jazz that might not be, appear to be outright jazz to someone who's a layperson. So at the end of the day, what I arrived on um, as a definition of jazz was that it must be, if the artist intends what they're making to be jazz, then it must be. And for me, this is liberating because it places the onus solely on the artist and their intent. You know, so if the intent is there for it to be jazz, then it should be, then it is. And for us at KMHD, I mean, you know, this is one of the, this is, if not the oldest popular music form on the planet, right? I mean, you might yeah. say like marching band music was popular in the 1800s, but really, I mean, in, in, in the recorded history of music, sure. you know, this is the first popular music. And so we've got this huge thing to look at with jazz, where it's really hard to pin down exactly what this is. And so liberating ourselves from having to do that and instead putting it on, on the artist allows us to play this and showcase the very diverse cornucopia that is jazz. But not just jazz, because so many things have been influenced or come out of jazz. I mean, I always say that jazz is the science fiction of music. You know, so science fiction is is concerned with the unknown, with yeah. trying to push boundaries, with trying to figure out what's coming next, what's different, what can I use my imagination to make? And for me, you know, that's Ornette Coleman, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, that's Sun Ra. And I mean, you look at it, the space thing yes. go, you know, flows through jazz, even before the space age begins, sure. right? And so, you know, for me, jazz is the science fiction of music, and these musics that have been created by jazz pushing boundaries and by jazz moving toward things really become a part of the story too. Um, and so I mean, and there's many ways to look at this and find the examples where this is probably the right conclusion in my opinion. Hmm. When we look at the people we remember favorably in jazz history, the people we can say by one name, Duke, Miles, Billy, Ella, Bird. Yeah. Prez, you know, you look at these people, train. they train, they were all innovators. They did something different and they might've been heckled for it at the time. You know, Monk, Mingus, right? I mean, these guys were not, Bird wasn't well thought of at the time that he was making music, totally. except by the underground. Yeah. Right? And so who we tend to hold up in jazz history are the innovators, the people who went against the grain that tried to take this music and do something different with it. They took the history, and they took, you know, the, the sort of, um, you know, the, the acknowledgement of the people that had come behind them, and they built on that, but they knew they had to be forward-thinking. They knew they had to, I got to do something different with this. I got to put my own stamp on it, my individual mark. And so those people that we celebrate um, are the innovators, and the, and the ones who didn't innovate tend to be less remembered in history. And so for me, that means that jazz to this day should still be concerned with the innovators, 
the people yeah. that are trying to do something different. But instead, what we find so much in jazz is a sort of shoe gazing, you know, navel gazing, looking yeah. at the past and yeah. being like, well, I need to sound like Bird, right. you know, obviously. Instead of thinking, no, I need, to, I need to learn what Bird did, and then I need to take it into my own thing. Instead, we see a lot of that. And I mean, the jazz in its heyday, if there is such a thing, was, was that way as well, you know. But, but I think the, the main thing we're trying to do at KMHD is celebrate that tradition. Hmm. And those are, those are during, that's mostly during the day. Well, I, you know, what we're trying to do, I mean, when you look at KMHD and we're hiring a position right now at the station, yeah. right? And what we said in, in the requirements for that is that you need to have a knowledge, a deep knowledge of jazz history and funk, soul, yes. R&B, world, and hip hop. These things, this becomes the, the spectrum by which we program at KMHD. So um, you'll find when you listen during the day to this mix that we have, you'll hear all those subgenres represented somewhere within that mix. Um, but we also, you know, I, we know the mutually agreed upon territory for most of our audience is hard bop, right? That quintessential sound of the late 50s, early 60s. So you're going to hear a lot of that. That's what we call our home sound. And you hear that during the day, too. But we're celebrating everything. And then in the evenings and the weekends, we break out the parts of that story into our specialty shows. And there's really three different types of specialty shows that exist on KMHD. We have a specialty show by subgenre, which would be like, say, the swing era, mm -hmm. or a specialty show that examines cool and West Coast jazz, or a specialty show that examines Brazilian jazz. And then we have the thematic shows, like Cine Jazz, that celebrates you know, jazz in the movies, or you know, thematic shows that celebrate live jazz, or the jazz of the civil rights era, as in Carlton Jackson's show, or Farnell's show that celebrates jazz in the 90s as a theme. And then the third category, which is the most rare, which is the type of show you host, which is a personality-driven show. And this one takes a tremendous amount of trust <laughs> because you, know, you have to be confident that the person right. that you've got is going to be able to take that and deliver something that sounds like that show every week. Yeah. Fortunately for you, you do that. I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, but that's, that's the hard part, and that's probably the most rare type of specialty show that we have. But all the evenings and weekends is that. And the hope is that someone can tune in and hear the mix that we feature during the day and then be able to build their deeper bond with what they really like from that mix inside a specialty show. Okay, during, during your... Your, what do you call your hard bop hour? You're, you're most, mostly during the day, right? I mean, when, when we play the most straight-ahead jazz is yeah. during a show called The Bridge, which airs right. from right. 10 to noon and yeah. then from 1 to 3 p.m. Right. And that's designed to be something that's relaxing to listen to at work. Yeah. Those shows are about 60% what I'd call home sound and then about 40% subgenre. And the idea is that the hosts on those shows plug in about two home sound cuts and then alternate to one subgenre cut. Whether they, and they can pick from whatever subgenre they like, whether it's Brazilian or free funk or hard bop or yeah. you know, wh yeah. whatever, soul jazz. You know. Okay, so we've got the innovators. Right? Is it your job then to decide who's the next innovator? That's what I'm trying to do uh, with my show, which yeah. is all new releases. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the main consideration I'm playing. That's quite a responsibility. Well, it is, but the reason I decided to do that is it's because it's part of my show. Any, it's part of my job anyway. I'm getting all those CDs. I'm 
trying to analyze that. And, but what I really want to do with New Jazz for Lunch more than anything is demonstrate, again, that this is a living, breathing art form. And there are things that are happening now that you like already that are a part of the jazz universe. Mm -hmm. And it all boils down to this. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, and they, they do a very good job at this, but there's a lot of people out there, um, a lot of saxophonists who are trying to sound like 50s Coltrane. Right. Trying to sound like Giant Steps Coltrane, right? The problem for a station like KMHD is we can play Coltrane. Yes. So why would we play you sounding like Coltrane? Right. Right. <laughs> True. Right? True. I mean, that's the whole bag. Not, not to knock anybody who wants to be a stylist right. or right. wants to examine the past, yeah. but when, it, when, the, when the rubber hits the road, we want to celebrate that sci-fi aspect of jazz, that right. forward-thinking nature, you know, the kind of um, thing that came out of the absolute genius of African Americans. Yeah. I mean, that's whose music this is, you know, and that's what we want to celebrate. So um, if somebody is trying to be outright derivative of one of those innovators, you know, we can play the innovator. And I, I think that's a good thing for jazz musicians to think about, because I think other radio stations are starting to see that as well, our mm -hmm. peers in this uh -huh. industry. Uh-huh. And this, is, this has worked for the station, hasn't it? Well, it has. I mean, we've grown no, our really audience. It really has. It's amazing. Yeah. We, we've grown our audience. I mean, the, the biggest statistic that's really interesting right now for KMHD is that 30% of our audience is 12 to 24. That's a third of the audience that is high school or college age. That's and astounding. That's a big audience. Now, yeah. here's, the, here's the thing. I mean, most public broadcasters look at that and they're like, yeah, great, but how do you sustain that? Because those people don't give money. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, but the nice thing is that we haven't, so as we've added that new audience, what we haven't seen a diminishment in is we haven't seen a diminishment in our 65 plus audience. Uh -huh. While they might not love everything that we play on the station, um, they've stuck around, at least according to our ratings. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. And why that's cool is because that's what I've always wanted to do. I don't want to play to a demographic. Right. I, I don't right. believe this music needs to play to a demographic. Right. This right. music can be celebrated by everyone. This yeah. is one of the few, and because it's mostly instrumental music, I think it even speaks more so. So it's interesting, like when we've played some things that like maybe Kendrick Lamar sampled, mm -hmm. um, you know, a Pat Van Dyke song, and we played the Pat yeah. Van Dyke song, then head into the Kendrick Lamar. I've had people who are obviously in their 60s or 70s call yeah. me and be like, yeah. I didn't know I liked that music, but I, but I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't even know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the, the juice is right there. I mean, that's where it's good. Because if you, and that's what we're all about anyways, is we just want to expose people to forward things interesting intellectual music right. and do it in a way that I think the, the mistake that most jazz fans get into is they just think if someone could just hear Bix Beiderbecke if they could just get exposed <laughs> to it they'd get it and the problem is in my right. experience that's not true well it seems like the whole moldy figs Versus the you know the other guy that's 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 just not happening anymore. I you know I, I hope so. Yeah. I, I you know I mean I used to get when I first the first time I played a soul tune on KMHD, you would have thought I had killed Jesus with my bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I think it was the Chilites on one of those Saturday nights over at Mount Hood. It doesn't surprise me. Um, you know. <laughs> We, 
unfortunately, um, people really, 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 I mean, maybe fortunately or unfortunately, really take this seriously. And, and, yeah. and I understand that. I mean, you know, I love Big Spider Beck. I love trap oh, yeah. jazz. I'm sure. a huge fan of it. I yeah. understand. So when somebody, you know, comes to me and they're like, hey, you're playing all this modern stuff. And I just, you know, why, why can't you play the best? You know, and I, <laughs> and I say, we do play the best, but we also play this, you yeah. know. I, I, yeah, yeah. And, and the deal is that, you know, at the end of the day, this is a really, really, really open-minded, diverse genre of music if yeah. it even is a genre you know i always take this approach as the meta genre that is jazz it can right. amalgamate anything um and it's and diversity is hard for people again back to that box thing you know you, we like to put things and categorize them into little boxes and i'm guilty of it too um but at the end of the day i think putting this music in a box is a disservice to the music it's very gratifying um on my show because i get i get phone calls like a couple of twenty-somethings called me up and said, "Hey man, we're driving around. Can you play some more, some, some, you know, some, in, some of that instrumental stuff?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, sure." Yeah. And 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 then some guy, some old, really old guy, even even older than me, which is very difficult to be, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, called and said. You know, whenever your show's on, I open all the windows and turn it up really loud. I'm going like, "Oh, geez, <laughs> cool." Yeah, except That's for his great. neighbors. Well, I mean, hey, <laughs> I hear it all the time. I ride bike through my neighborhood. Yeah. I hear people yeah. blast in the station. Right. And I love that um, because yeah. it's meant to be. I mean, yeah. it's, I, I don't think you're going to find too much on KMHD that is going to offend you. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is pleasing music. And, um, you know, sure, we keep it real. We have a free jazz hour on Monday nights. Yeah. But, you know, outside that, I think is a very, li very listenable for the most part. So did you always want to be on the radio? Yeah. I, I in high school, um, started off as a computer programmer, and I huh. loved uh -huh. programming. I, in high school, I went to Pitt, and I took, they had a program where you could go and take classes. They would come into our, our school. I started this in the, uh, in the eighth grade. And they would come into our school and teach us how to program in languages like Turbo Pascal and BASIC and Cobalt and programs like that. And... And we learned how to be like real deal computer programmers. Um, and I would go in the summer, I would take a course load at Pitt. So when I got to college, I, I started at the at school with, you know, almost a semester's worth of credits already. So I, I had this feel. I was like, I am going to be a computer programmer. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I started in a, a semester doing it. And I was doing it every day, all day. All my course load was, I didn't want to take any electives. I just wanted right into the computer science thing. And what I realized really quick about a, a month or two into doing that was that I absolutely hated it. It was sucking my soul out of me. And around the same time that I was coming to that realization that what I'd worked on since I was like in junior high was something I probably didn't want to do for the rest of my life, I ran into a friend of mine from high school who was going to the same university that I was going to, which, by the way, is Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. Huh? And he just handed me a flyer and was like, hey, listen to my radio show. And I'd always been really into music when I was a kid, mostly because I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian household where I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music, oh, only boy. allowed to listen to Christian rock. So I had to yeah. sneak a lot of the music that I wanted to listen to. Like what? Like at the time it was like, um, I was really in, at a very young age to um, like kind of the 
alternative scene. So like the first tape I ever bought was uh, R.E.M.'s Document. Uh-huh. It was like Susie and the Banshees. Yeah. And I was really into GBH and yeah, the yeah, early yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers, like uh-huh. Uplift Mafo Party Plan before they were yeah, yeah. ever popular. And um, I was really into... Um, Black Flag and Minor Threat yeah. and bands like that, you know, the hardcore bands of DC and stuff like that. But, and I, I could, anytime my parents would catch me with that music, they'd throw it out, you know, <laughs> so it would just get destroyed or thrown out. And so I'd continually have to hide it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So because of that, you know, when you take something away from somebody, they become more interested. Of course. In it. So I was really super into music all through high school. When I got to college, obviously I could have my own collection. Yeah. And that was nice. And so this friend that I saw in high school was like, hey, listen to my radio show. And I was like, they gave you a radio show? How did you get a radio show? He's like, you just go in and they sign you up and then you, you learn how to do it. And I was like, that's it. And I started doing that week. I went into the, the radio station on campus. And within two weeks of doing radio, I'd switched my major to journalism and broadcasting. And I knew at that point, 18 that I was, yeah. that's all I want to do the rest of my life. I don't ever want to do anything but radio ever again. <laughs> and I, I still feel that way. I, yeah. I don't ever want to do anything but this. You ever see the movie American Hot Wax? American Hot Wax, not American yeah. Hot Summer? No, what Amer- American, American Hot, Hot Wax which about um, uh, Alan Freed. Oh, well, I know who Alan Freed is, obviously. But it's a, It was a movie, uh, and, and Jay Leno was Alan Freed's chauffeur. Really? Yeah. So anyway, but it was a, there was a kid, a kid in there, who was the who was the the president of the Buddy Holly fan club, and all he wanted to do was sit next to Alan Freed and watch. I was that kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's how I was too. I used to yeah. stay up listening to the radio yeah. after my parents had gone to bed after midnight mm-hmm. with two tapes right in my in my <laughs> deck, and I would just tape. I would tape songs I loved off the radio right. and I just, right. you know, that this was my way to, to find things and get things. It's also like what really gave me a love for broadcasters. I thought, I thought broadcasters were the coolest people in the world. Absolutely. I mean, just like, right. that's it. And, um, yeah, yeah, I was very lucky in Baltimore. Of course, of course at, at night you could get all the 50,000 watt stations right. coming out of Chicago yep. and Dick Biondi on WLS and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But we were very lucky in Baltimore because we had a black station. Yep. And in Pittsburgh, too, we had the same yeah, thing. Right. I, I mean, that's in, for me, that's it. Like, right. what we, the type of R&B and soul we play on KMHD yes. is right out of right. that station in yeah. Pittsburgh. I'm very lucky that I have an air check from my all-time DJ hero. And I use it on the show about, oh, once, about yeah, once a month. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Rod. Yeah, so good. Yeah. So good. The real zeal's odd. And that's it. I mean, you know, he had, come, he had come over from W uh, uh, DIA in in uh, in, um, in Memphis. And I think people don't realize how hard it is to get to that as as a broadcaster. Yeah. To get to that ability to sound like you on the air. Yeah. Most people yeah. get really surprised the first time they open up a mic because they don't right. sound like themselves. Right. You know what right. I mean? Not what they hear. For one, you've got your voice, which you only hear in your head, so it sounds different. But then, you know, once you start talking, you're just all of a sudden inhibited. Uh-huh. You know, most people. Most you're people. not like that. I'm not, no. <laughs> well, the but thing that's is, a talent. That's the talent. That's uh, the talent. Uh, the thing is, um, my voice is consistent in, no matter what medium I'm working. If yeah. I'm writing, it's the same voice. Right, right. Yeah, you know? totally. So, I mean, and I, I got that early. I don't know how. 
Yeah. It's not, not, it's not something I thought about. No, it's a talent. Like those are the natural talents right. that people have, you know, right. yeah. I'm, I'm and kind most of, broadcasters have. I'm kind of a savant, you know, cause I'm kind of stupid in every other way. Yeah. Me too. What are you, you're agreeing with me. It's great. I'm glad to hear that. I, I no, just, no, no. I feel no, no, copacetic. No, no. I very, no I, I really, I, I'm, I really appreciate that because I tell people I'm stupid and they usually go, no, Tom, you're not stupid. No, yeah, I'm stupid. I usually tell them I'm stupider than you think. And then they're like, they're like, no, you're not stupid. And I'm like, well, I fooled you then. <laughs> So after that, were you a station rat? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I was on the, on the staff of that station. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. was doing anything I could to be in radio. And then when I graduated, I couldn't wait. I was like, I can't wait to get into commercial radio. Cannot wait. Uh-huh. Can't wait for it. Cannot wait because I'm going to get paid. Yeah. And commercial radio is even cooler because they got a bigger audience. Right. And, you know, they got the budget and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And from... I think day three of interning in commercial radio in Pittsburgh, I was just like, oh no, I hate this. I don't like this at all. They don't, you, you, they don't get to choose what they play on no, there. I mean, like they've got no, a 50 no, no song choices playlist. At all. I mean, you're just sitting there doing whatever yeah. the man tells you to do. That's right. And, um, so I interned there as long as I could, you know, just to stay in. Cause I knew I wanted to do this, but I remember my wife saying to me, well, you don't like this. So, you know, when are you, what are you going to do? And I was like, I just wish I could get back into, you know, radio where you got to play what you pick again, yeah. you know, like in, in that type of thing. Cause this sucks. And she was like, well, I mean, there's gotta be, I was like, no, there's no way to do that. There's, there's no way it just doesn't happen. And I started working for a, a three-station group outside of Pittsburgh. And I, I actually had to beg them for a job. I got done with this internship. My wife and I moved back to uh, the town I was born in, which is about 20 miles north of Pittsburgh. It's called Butler, Pennsylvania. And I started working for a three-station group there. But I, I, Doing in, what? Well, <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. I skateboarded down there the first day we were there. And this is the only <laughs> real radio station in town. It's a three-station group, two AMs yeah. and an FM. Yeah. The FM was... Uh, was um, a news station. One of the AMs was an AM gold station. Oh. The other was an AM news station, right? Oh boy. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I walked in there and I was like, you know, it was, I went to the secretary, the receptionist, and I said, um, are there any jobs here? And she said, no, we don't have any jobs. Get out of here, basically, you know? And I was like, well, you know, I, I just, <laughs> I, I graduated from college. I did a lot of radio and um, I just wonder if there's somebody I could talk to here. And she was like, yeah, the GM's in his office over there. You can go over and talk to him if you want. I mean, you know, and this is crazy because stuff yeah. doesn't happen now, but there was the GM sitting in the office and uh-huh. he was just sitting behind his desk and I go in there and sit down. And I said, Hey, explain my story. And I was like, I've been interning at these stations in Pittsburgh and I, I did this. And he was like, well, I don't have any way to pay you. And I was like, I, I get it. I'll just, can I just hang out? Yeah. Like, I mean, I'll do, yeah. I'll sweep the floors. I'll, you know, shred paper for you, get stuff off the wire, whatever you need. I'll just do it. Can I just hang out? Would that be cool? And he's like, well, I can't pay you. And I was like, yeah, no, I dig it. I'll, I'll just, I'll come in for free. Okay. Your life kid, if you want to do it, go for it. <laughs> so I started delivering pizzas and, um, to make money. And I was just in uh, lo and behold, like about a, a few weeks or a month after I'd been there, one of the DJs got sick. Oh boy! And uh, it was during a don't sick or go on vacation and broadcasting ever. 
<laughs> and it was during a CBS Sports simulcast of a NASCAR race. Whoa. And so what I had to do in between, they were a kid, you're on the air. What I had to do in between was read our local news bumpers, you know, huh? basically take yeah. the news on the whip, you know, three times an hour. Yeah. And pull the CBS news feed from reel to reel tape off the off the satellite, huh? you know. And I eventually, you know, and cut was, cut it with a razor. Cut it with a razor. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the old yeah. school method. Yeah. That's how we edited audio back then, and 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 also recorded all our audio on carts. You know? Of course, um, there wasn't even a computer in that studio. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a computer in that station. So anyways, I did that, and I, eventually I, I was part-time, and I became their weekend news writer and anchor, and I was just on in the weekend mornings uh -huh. for them, and I and, uh, got to host a couple of like AM Gold shifts, was, which was cool, and I yeah. found an affinity for that music as well while mm -hmm. I was there. Mm -hmm. I worked there for about two years, and then I moved to Texas, and that's when I got into uh, KRTU, which was really the first love of my life job, you know, where you really loved what you were doing, we believed in the mission, and... My uncle's a, a scientist for NASA, and he grew up on a farm. He studied agriculture in college, and I got this impression of him when I was 12 years old when he took to tour this lab where he was growing food in space. You know, they, they had a module yeah. on the space station, and we were in there on a Sunday, and he was just at work, you know, showing me around, and then he was like, oh, I got to handle this, Matt, hang on, and, you know, and I just immediately got this sense that he doesn't think he's working right now. Not like my dad. My dad, you know, work was a slog. He yeah. went to work every day, and yeah. he didn't yeah. like it, I don't right. think, you know. Yeah. But this guy liked what he did, so he didn't feel like he was working by taking his nephew to work on a Sunday. And I just thought to myself at that time, I was like, that's what I want in my life. I want to I wanna be like that. I want to feel like I work for a living. Yeah. You know, and right. so right. when I found this, I thought, this is probably not going to feel like I'm ever working again. Hopefully, if I can be there, that's cool. <laughs> I'll never kick myself for having to get up in the morning and go to work. Yeah, yeah. Then I'll pinch myself. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing uh, when, when you get in that situation. Makes life worth living. It does. I mean, and, does. you know, I mean, that's really the thing. Like, I mean, if humanity ever gets its shit together. Well... That might be what it looks like. You know, we find the things that make us happy to do, and yeah. we all do them, and everybody has their own skill. I mean, that's like a, I, I, you know, it's like a, I guess, a utopian communist vision or something like that. But in 2017, I've been thinking more and more about that's humanity and how it gets its shit together. <laughs> is, that because, is that because you have a child now? Yeah, I think it's because I have a child and also because, like, it feels like our country's ending. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, definitely feels like that. And which it makes it even harder having a child because you're like, yeah. we had her when, when Barack was president. And, you know, things difference. were going pretty good. Yeah, like difference. I felt pretty good about having a kid back then. Yeah. I don't know how I'd feel if I found out I was pregnant at this point. You know, as a person. You know. No. Not that I can get pregnant. I know. I know. It's just, you know. I think we all we all feel that collective sense even those on on the opposite side feel like that to some degree too yeah. oh geez we had to bring that up didn't we yeah well sorry i mean you know it's, it's hard not to think about it i can't talk about that on the air so 
Uh, true. <laughs> Just you, like I can't swear on the air. Yeah. I can't talk about that. I know. And I'm not going to because that's the other thing we've seen as a huge value for KMHD over the past year is that we can do this beautiful thing. We can be a haven. Yeah. Even though we, we broadcast the news at, in drive times just for five minutes, the rest of the time, if we can give people respite, if we can give them a place where, I mean, in so much of the music of the civil rights era speaks exactly. Totally. It's like it was, totally. they've got, yes. there's a song right. about every single thing that's exactly. happening right oh, yeah. now yeah. Yeah. that was already made for I, us. I, I remember the, the shock we, uh, when, when Trump was elected and having to go in yeah. and play music. Right. And right. I think I said to you at the time, all we can do is comfort and inspire. That's it. Yeah, you did say that. And I, I, re I remember that really well because yeah. that was you know, something. You said all the more important our jobs yeah. are now right. to comfort and inspire people. Right. And... Yeah. Um, and that stuck with me because it was like, yeah, that's it. I mean, that's, right. that's what we're here for now. Right. And, and so, you know, we've tried to, and it's hard for DJs sometimes not to editorialize on the air, but the music can do so much more speaking for us. And if we can make, I mean, we really win if we can make somebody feel better. Yep. Our, ourselves included, we get to experience the music too in the studio. Well, that's the, that's, it's a that's that's a major uh, component because you know first of all you know you're in, you know you're making other people feel better you're inspiring them you're comforting them and yourself at the same time yeah and that's just what is the reason we do this it we is. do this because is. we care about sharing I mean we right. spent a lot of time with music yeah we we know what's good and we also yeah. know that I mean it's a, it, it seems like a cheesy thing to say right now. Um, because it's been said so many times that it almost starts to lose meaning. But music has the ability, the innate ability to change your mood. Oh, yeah. And make you feel better. I, yeah. I think music yeah. has the, the ability to heal, um, yeah. to, yeah. you know, like physically heal. Right. You know? right. And um, so, and, and so much of this, I mean, like we were, we were driving home with my daughter in the car the other night. And, you know, we're just listening to the start of Carlton's show, which starts with Naima every week. Yeah. And it's just like that song. I mean, even yeah. with this forest fire smoke in the area and everything right. else, you know, there's just, it speaks to the beauty of life. It speaks to, you know, the wonderfulness of life. Even when shit's falling apart around us, uh, there's still so much beauty. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I, for me, and you look at the careers of our favorite, the most respected jazz artists, you'll find one thing beyond the innovation that's, that's intrinsic to every one of them is that they led lives of great pain and distress. Art, true, good, high-minded, quality art, in my opinion, only comes from a place of sheer pain and despair because you're trying to take that and you're trying to mold that into something that transcends it. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, the, the very successful artists that I've known personally in my own life the people who really have made a mark in the world with their art have come from a place of true despair. So you don't have that. Yeah. You might not be making that great of art. Right. <laughs> but if well, you do have that, you can channel that shit and make it make something spectacular. You got to suffer if you want to sing the blues. Oh, for sure. You yeah. Know. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> 
That's the deal. I mean, I, I realize that David Bromberg wrote that. <laughs> and I'm not sure how much suffering he did, but... Yeah, but still, I mean, it's the thing. I, it's true, though. You know, I mean, myself yeah. included, you know, yeah. um, I, I, haven't, I haven't suffered anything like many of my favorite artists in the world have right. suffered. But right. I have seen that, personally, too, with, with friends and close acquaintances who have been successful as artists, I've seen that. And, you know, like Wayne Shorter, one of the greatest jazz artists, he lost his daughter and his wife. Right. I mean, at one point, I, it's like, and obviously Wayne channeled that. I mean, obviously yeah. he did. Yeah. Herbie's, Herbie's life has been fraught with tragedy and hardship. Miles, Miles is a case study yeah. in a miserable life. Correct. I mean, he enjoyed success, but there was a ton of misery. Some of it was his own fault, but... Um. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, hey, yeah. some, some philosophers would argue that Right. Most of suffering is our own fault. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, after, after the, the Charleston shootings, mm. I remember I, I went on the air and I played Shirley Caesar singing Don't Be Afraid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in the studio and I'm playing the tune and I busted out crying. Oh, I've, I, I cr- I've cried so many times yeah. while a song's playing on the air yeah. over this past uh, right. nine months. Yeah. I, I have cried so many times. Uh, where it's just, I mean, music is just a more, and, and like, I, I can't stress this enough. I mean, the music of the civil rights era in the sixties and seventies, it speaks to every incident we're seeing. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I think we're all just sitting here like, how, how is this happening? Right. I mean, how is this stuff right. happening? And, um, but it's there. I mean, it's, it's there in jazz's history and there are new people coming along that are speaking to it too. Um, you know, Keon Harold just put out that uh, that MB Lament song, Michael Brown, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like people are. It's still going on, and um, art speaks to it in a way that news can't. You know, because yeah. it speaks to our heart. Well, to tell you the truth. You know, when when I saw your Facebook page way back, mm-hmm. I said this is this is going to be good. And and you haven't disappointed anybody, and we're all happy that you're at the steering wheel. Well, thanks. I mean, it's a as you know, I feel like it's a privilege. It's an immense responsibility um, to to be there. Uh, but you know, I mean, for me, it's just like I get to work with so many great artists, but also so many great people, and that's the juice for me too. I mean, like I've all, I mean, all my greatest friendships have been with fellow broadcasters. Sure. You know, and I mean, there's something about that. It's just like this. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a neat thing, and there's some of the most interesting people in the world, and and uh, people that you know have this kind of talent. You just have the best conversations, like yeah. you know, obviously yeah. we're doing here. It's it's nice. yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing. You know, uh, since I've sort of spread myself out in, in different media over the years, um, uh, I've been so lucky to have the people who are writing for me. Yeah, so lucky. I, mean, I had a I had a paper in around a paper in Baltimore, and there was a poet, writer, just brilliant, one of the most brilliant men I've ever met in my life, and uh, he wrote a, a series for me on when he was an alcoholic and when he went through when he was locked up in 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 a, in a, in a mental institution and all this, and it was the most brilliant thing, and it was lost, and I've been and I I just I have a little domain you know Google Google do, domain. 
And I've been, and I, I put it back up so the rest of the world could still see it. But I'm just so happy. He's dead now. That's, that's the point. I'm just so grateful for these people who have, who have, uh, you know, decided. That, you, know, that, that I, you know, Jack Barry. Yeah, the, the right, old Jack. guy. Yeah. The old guy. One of the. You know, I was so thrilled. I'll never forget. I started started Oregon Music News, and he he wrote me a piece on the band Oregon. I just sat there. and I went. This is why I did this. This is why I started this. Yeah, right. And I'm sure you, you feel the same kind of gratitude for the people who are working for you. Yeah, working for me or the people that have gotten me here. You know, yeah. I mean, that's it. Yeah. I, I think in broadcasting, your network is so important. You know, it's just, um, and, and that was the thing. That's, by the way, that station I started at. I mean, the mentorship thing is such a big deal. Yeah. There was a gentleman there, my earliest mentor in radio, his name was Larry Berg, and he had a show. Uh, a weekly show a la Think Out Loud, you know, uh -huh. like the way that's done. It was a noontime show. And I engineered that show a little bit for him. And so I would do the news breaks, you know, in between his segments. And he came to me one day. He was like, kid, your, your voice. And he, his, his claim to fame was he was the first broadcaster. He worked in Houston in the 50s. First broadcaster to interview Elvis. Whoa. <laughs> and he had a picture of him with Elvis, a very young Elvis at that station, you know. In his, in, he had his own booth with yeah. his own like couch and chair, you know what I mean? Like his <laughs> yeah, own mic, yeah, the Larry yeah, Bird yeah, plaque yeah, on it yeah, and stuff. that's great. And he said to me, I, I still, I mean, this, this kindness that he extended to me, he didn't have to do this. He said, kid, your voice, it's just not where it needs to be, and that's okay because you were in college radio and then you just were an intern, right. but, but I want to work with you on your voice. Do you, do you want to work with me? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, you get here every day at 5 a.m., and we will, we will work on your voice in the studio. So I wow. would go down there in the dark, and I would go into this dark studio with him, and he would just work on voice with me. Uh -huh. And he did that for months, wow. every day. Wow. I mean, now, you know, I like to think, yeah, he wanted a good voice on his show, yeah. you know, type of thing. But in reality, he didn't have to do that. Oh. So, I mean, where, where I can, I've tried to remember that in sure. my career and try and help people where I can, Any, anybody I can. I mean, it's like... It just is, um, and I just, that's the other thing that I love. I love seeing, like, you know, people of any age get excited about being on the radio. Yep. yep. Yeah. Well, although I had the, uh, 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 just a little a little before this, I had the perfect place to stop, to, for us to stop. <laughs> oh, sorry, did I take it on? No, no, no it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> How it long did you want it, this It's to all be? right, it's okay. It was when I got really sincere. <laughs> 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 but I meant what I said, and, thank and, and, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it. Well, thank you, Tom. I mean, you know, you're just like everybody. You're, this is what makes KMHD important. It's not about necessarily the format or the station's brand. It's about the people involved and what they play. Yeah. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. It was nice.